Dr. Paul Leslie Hour, helping people tell their stories. And now, your host, Paul Leslie. Hey, it's me. You may have been in the company of an outlaw, but our special guest, Royal Wade Kimes, is the gentleman outlaw. One country music icon called him a cowboy through and through. Royal Wade Kimes is a singer, songwriter, performing and recording artist. He's had over 150 songs published. Some of the greatest singers of our time have interpreted the songs of Royal Wade Kimes, from the contemporary like Garth Brooks to some of the all-time greats like Gene Watson. As a recording artist, he's released 15 CDs. He's been recognized by such publications as Billboard that called him a talented songwriter and country to the core. He's also a prolific author. So far, he's had eight novels with talk of a ninth in the future. He is an actor. He teaches songwriting seminars. He's a horseman. Ladies and gentlemen, it's a great pleasure to welcome Royal Wade Kimes. How are you doing? I'm doing fine. How are you? I am well. It's a pleasure to have you on here. Yeah, it's good to be here. I think most stories are best from the beginning. Tell us about the part of the country that you're from. Well, I was born and raised in the Boston Mountains, and uh, that's in northwest, the northwest corner of Arkansas and Oklahoma. It's on the borderline there. Boston, Boston means tough and rugged. That's what the word means. And back in, back in the day, when the cowboy would be walking down the street, he'd punch his buddy there, and he'd say, hey, watch him. He's at Boston meaning he's tough and rugged. And that's where I'm from. I was, uh, I'm the last cowboy to ride this country, ride that country when it was an open range. We had cattle all over it, all over the mountain range, and I had a couple of good horses that I rode to, you know, after the cattle, and that's my job, basically, to take care of cows. Hmm. So what does that word mean to you, cowboy? Well, it's freedom, for sure. Uh, and it's a, you know, also means that he don't, <laughs> he don't take much. He, uh, he's shooting pretty straight with you and, um, and he's, he's free, you know, he's, uh, he's, uh, bigger than life for little boys and little girls when they see a cowboy. I, I've walked into places that I pretty much look like a cowboy all the time. And when I walk into a place, I've had, Little boys and little girls say to their mamas where I can hear them, they'd say, Mama, look, that's a cowboy. <laughs> and uh, so that's what a cowboy is. He's uh, especially around the world, Europe and Asia, they just, they love cowboys. So it's a badge of honor to be called a cowboy. Yeah, I would think so. You know, being one, I don't think much about that, but I guess it is. <laughs> But I've got some friends that, you know, just had lunch the other day with a, an old cowboy. He's, he was one of the last cowboys to ride the, the Dog Creek Ranch out in Oklahoma. There's a big ranch out there and, and he was sure enough a cowboy. Now he, he didn't ride that ranch unless he knew what you're doing. And, and, uh, I find him interesting to sit down and have lunch with and talk to once in a while. Uh, you know, it's, they're a dying breed. That's one of the records we came out with. Uh, I came out with some years ago. It's a dying breed because I was walking down Music Row one day on 16th Avenue, and 
And I had Kent Blasey with me who rode tomorrow and Eric for Garth. And I told him, I said, look around here. I said, man, I said, I'm a dying breed. Because I'm the only one standing on the street with a hat on. And uh, <laughs> so we went, uh, went back to his house and we wrote that song. On the note of songwriting, how would you say that you learned to write songs? How did I learn? Yeah. Well, I'll tell you what. I thought I was a songwriter when I was a kid. I'd been writing songs around home in those mountains and all that for several years. And when I got to Nashville, uh, I found out I didn't know nothing about it. What I thought I was knew, I didn't. And what I was doing was wrong. And it took me a couple of years there to break my old habits and learn what was going on, what what you had to do to make a song make sense and and make it commercial, make it a hit, and not lose its soul and, and its uh, feel. And uh, I picked up on that finally. The light bulb kicked on one day and while well, I was co-writing with some other guys. And, and I said, oh, well, I see now what, what the deal is here. So I started writing and just kept writing and honing my craft and that. And and uh way I went, I, I learned that you know, there's several different ways to write a song, and now what Nashville teaches, I don't, I don't go for. They've got a Nashville, we call it the Nashville system, and it's the same old, same old all the time. I don't write like that. Uh, my songs will, each song you hear coming back behind the next one will be totally different writ- written than the one you just listened to. But if you're going to write a formula, then they're all going to sound the same. But I don't do that. I, I come up in a day when, you know, I was a young guy and listened to Johnny Cash, George Jones, Merle Haggard, and all those guys. And and I come up in a time when songwriting was a real art and a real craft and everything wasn't the same old, same old. And so that's how I learned how to write. And I'm really glad of it because when I teach a seminar, you, you can't believe some of these kids, the young kids that are, you know, like 18, 20, 21 years old. I mean, you can just see it. It's like, wow, I, I didn't know none of this, you know. And so you get them, you can get them rolling once they see what you can do with a pen and an idea and some good lyrics. A moment ago, you were talking about moving to Nashville. Was that something you were confident about? Were you intimidated? What was that like? <laughs> well, <laughs> that's a good question. That's one that people might like to know. Uh, it's uh scary. It uh yeah. it's scary on the one hand. On the other hand, if you think you've got it, you gotta go in there with confidence and, and with the idea you're not gonna do it. I had a lot of guys say, uh, after I got there say, Well, I'm gonna give it five years and I'm and I can tell you right now, as soon as they said that, they're done. Mm. Because you give it five years in this business and you're you're just uh, chasing yourself. That ain't gonna happen. It took me eight years before I got my first break. It takes a long time. Now I could might have could have got that break quicker uh, had I wanted to have done it a little more, not on the up and up. But I do everything I do straight ahead, cowboy. You know, I, it's got to be honest. It's got to be right. And but uh, yeah, it's scary. And then once you do, here's the other part. Once you do get there, I'll never forget this. When I got my deal with Warner Brothers, and I was going to sign that contract, and I'd already been there all those years, and I thought, man, a lot scared the fire out of you because you, you know, this is it. This is, you know, you're fixing to jump in into the, to the big deal, you know. And 
And so it's scary, but if you've got what it takes, you can take the scare away. And of course, I, I had worked, uh, run into Eddie Arnold, old Tennessee Plowboy, and he and I worked together for years, and he's the one who helped me get, you know, get a break. And, um, so, you know, I, I had somebody there that was supportive of me too, that knew I had it. And that's, that's the other thing. You can go to Nashville and you need to find somebody that you can actually believe and trust to tell you that you do have it because a lot of people think they've got it and they don't. And a lot of people may make it a certain way up that deal and, and, but they're not staying because they don't have the state power. They don't have that. And, you know, if you're born with it, it's going to be something exceedingly great. Not that I think I'm at great, but I do think that, that I'm born with something because it's different from everything else. And, you'll be different from everything else. But, yeah, it's a scary thing. On the other hand, you know, if you go into it determined, then you got a shot at that. And, and if you're not determined and if you're going to give it just a short time, so long, I'll still be stuck. Would you say that confidence is more important than humility? Ah, uh, that's a hard question. Man, if you lose your humility, humility, that, you know, confidence is... I don't think much of it. I think you have to have a mixture of both. I mean, look, guys that go in there with no humility and do make it, they become people you don't really want to be around. And I've been around some of those. And there's the ones that aren't like that, which are some of the older acts. I mean, you know, Cash wasn't like that. I've run him some, and he had all my records, in fact, or most of them before he passed. He even sent his book to me before he passed away. And, his autobiography and told me to keep doing what I was doing. Well, that's, you know, that's a guy that hadn't lost his humility. And I think you have to have both if you're going to be, you know, if you're going to be happy with yourself once you've done this, then you need both. But if you just, all you're about is the money and the prestige, the power, then you can do that. I just don't think much of it. And as far as, that kind of artist, I don't think much of either, and I tell him so. So how did you come to know Mr. Johnny Cash? Um, I ran on to him uh, when I, at CMA, there were a couple of CMA shows, and that's where I got acquainted with him at. And, of course, I was around some of the other, some of the managers. I had a couple of managers that was, one of them was managing George Jones, and and he was managing me at the same time, and they were promoting those records. And you just get acquainted with people over period of time. I've been there. I went to Nashville in 83 and went to work for Laura Lynn uh, out there at her ranch and doing music and a lot of other stuff. And then when I flipped over from there, I ran into Eddie Arnold. And you just, when you get into those circles, and that is the circle, you just get to knowing people. What did you learn from Eddie Arnold? Um, how to make it the best it can be. Eddie wasn't satisfied with mediocre. I would bring him project after project that I had written and went and, sh went and uh, cut a demo on, and I'd bring it to him to let him listen to it. And that was almost 10 years before he gave it to Greenlight. Now, he said to his secretary, because I'd asked him, I said, look, all I, all, I don't want anything from you, Mr. Arnold. I just need you to tell me if I've got it. If I've got it, I'm going to stay with this. If I don't, I'm going to go home. I'll you know, get in that old truck I'm sleeping in and go home. But he told her without telling me, he said, that old boy's got it. And, but I had to hone it. I had to hone it down to what he thought 
you know, was was it. And where I didn't have to, when I walked out on that stage, I didn't have to worry about what come in behind me, or I didn't have to worry about what I followed. I knew my vocal was going to hold up to anything there, and my writing, uh, it just became its own thing. I, I don't. Uh, that's something I'm pretty um, passionate about, and I feel like I can hang in there with anybody on that. What was Loretta Lynn like to be around? Sweetheart. She's just a sweetheart. She's just, there's nothing to, that you can say about her. It was bad. She's just a sweetheart. And a lot of fun to be around. Last time I saw her, she gave me a big old kiss. And it's been mm, eight or ten years ago now. But uh, she's she's just a sweetheart. You can't, you know, Loretta was, for what I'm concerned, she's, she's probably... I would call her the soul of country in the female line. Well spoken. As I mentioned at the top of the interview, it's not just songs that you write. You also are an author. You write novels. Is it a different experience to write a book versus writing a song? Well, you know, if you write a song, it's going to be about a three-minute song. And and uh a little tip for songwriters out there. If you're writing a song that's more than three minutes, you're wasting my time. You need to get back there under three minutes if you can. Get in, get out, and let's get this thing rolling. And uh, write a good song, write a good core song, and you got something. Then when you're going to write novels, I don't know. I'd already been writing songs all those years, and and I I like I like cowboys, and because I am one, but I like that I grew up around. World War II veterans that were cowboys and back in these mountains and and other guys that were cowboys, tough and rugged and straight shooters and so I wanted to be that. I am that. Born that. I don't remember really not ever wearing cowboy boots and hats. And so one day my wife said to me, "said uh, Won't you not do anything this weekend? Won't you go write a book?" I said, "All right." And I just went back here in the, my office and started writing a book. And I wrote the thanks so fast, couldn't believe it, and and uh sent it out to my literary agent out in L.A., and they called me back and said, there ain't no way you wrote that that quick. I said, well, I did. I, I, I probably don't have a song there. Cause, and she said, what do you mean a song? I said, well, I thought a songwriter went to Nashville. I didn't have one. I said, probably don't have a book either. She laughed. She said, oh, yeah, you got a book. So I started writing what I call mystery, mystery thriller westerns. They're not like your normal. They're not just a shoot 'em up uh, when you get one of my westerns, you won't figure it out. If you do, you're one of the, you'd be one of the chosen few because so far nobody's told me they figured out the, any of the endings yet. And I leave them that way. I, I fix it where when I'm writing them, they've got twists and turns in them. And you may think you're riding along and you've got this figured out and then you get shot right out of the saddle because that wasn't it at all. And, and I think if you make a Western interesting, because people at that time were interesting, and they weren't any different than they are today. They just uh, it, just a different time, but they had they could figure ways to, you know, the outlaws figured out ways to pull things off, and you didn't know what happened or how it happened, and the and the lawmen did the same thing. And then the there's always interest, the interest levels in each one of the lives. I, I like to build characters that are strong characters, and or you know, night and day different from the other guys or the other character. So it's it's a to me it's the building of the character, building of the story, and building it fast and furious where it keeps the reader hanging on. I mean he can't 
I had I had a guy call, got to my manager and got and said that he wanted to talk to me. So I got on the phone and the guy said, "You owe me for a day's work." And I said, "Well, what for?" He said, "I got up this morning to have breakfast and I had a cup of coffee there and I turned up, started reading on that book." And he said, "I couldn't set it down. I called in, and told him I wasn't coming to work that day." He said, "I had to read that thing." <laughs> so that's what I like to do is write books that, and I've been writing now since 2003 uh, novels. So. You know, this will be my ninth novel coming up, and it's called Town. And I'm going to tell you, this family that's in this town, when you get on reading, you know, you start reading on that, you can smell them. It's a bad dude, and and it's uh, it's very interesting. It's uh, it takes in all walks of life, and it's quite something. So I'm pretty excited. About it. I, I might be more excited about this book than I've written in a while now because it's just so. It's just going to pull you in, and and you're going to be living in that town whether you want to or not. So how does Royal Wade Kimes develop a character? It seems like characters are important to you. Well, that's the subject, whatever the subject is, and then come up with a hardcore name. If you got a good name, you got a good subject, character right itself. But if you're lacking on either one of those, it ain't going to pan out. It's, you're not going to have much. But if you get, you need good, strong characters, and good, and good, strong names do that. And like this one character's name's Tucker Shaw. Well, Tucker Shaw, he don't bend to nothing. And that's just that's one of his deals. He don't bend no matter what. And just about the time you think he's going to bend, he don't. But you don't know what's coming next. You never figure him out. You never figure it out. And so just characters like that, that's how you build good good books is with good characters and good storylines. And uh, don't get confused and write two subjects at the same time. That'll get you killed. You'll be you'll be done. Same way as songwriting. You can't do that. You stay stay true to your storyline, but make sure you've got it ain't a straight line. It's gotta it's gotta make its turns and its twists and and then you You'll, uh, my wife, when she, she's a professional reader, basically, she is a professional reader. She reads constantly. And so I gave her this transcript to one of my books and she, she read it and she made me a better writer because she can figure a book out in five, six chapters. She's got it. Well, I thought, so if I start writing these things, you're not going to figure it out. So, um, I credit her for that. And I, she read a transcript and she walked by my desk one day and slammed that script down and she just kept walking and she, Hollered back at me, said, I didn't expect that of you. <laughs> I tricked her. <laughs> you said that character's name was Tucker Shaw? Yeah, it's Tucker Shaw. He's one of them in uh, Where Outlaws Roam. And then there's Jubal Tate and Sleeping Charge, Jubal Tate and uh, Levi Henry. They make a heck of a pair in this book, but there's several of them in it, but those are two strong characters there. And uh, your characters, you know, your your mean guy, he has to have a tough name, and as well, he has to be, I would say, tough, but he has to have an interesting stand-up name. Like the his his enemy was Major Ben, B N D, Major Ben. And when you get into that character, you think, man, I mean, you get to wanting to take care of him, you know, <laughs> just reach in there in that book and get him, but but uh, you can't do that. But yeah, you just gotta. Come up with a good, strong character. Tuck Shaw was one of them. Jubal Tate was another one. You just 
got to have the right characters. And the one coming up here is on town is uh, will be uh, Kenneth Luker. And Kenneth Luker's a real guy. He's the cowboy I was telling you about earlier that I had lunch with the other day. He's an old, old guy. And he's close to 90. But he's a real cowboy, and I put him in that book is because I'd learned a lot about him, and I used characteristics of him. But he wasn't a lawman, but this guy's a retired lawman in this book called Town. So Kenneth is Luker. He's he's a strong character in this. He's got his own way of doing things. And and then there's the family. And those family, when you get their names, you're going to go, wow, can't believe this. That's what's going to happen to you because I, I did a, we did a test on it by five different people. We tested it with a script. And that was the reaction we got was they just can't get over that book. That's what you want. You want you want to test that book, and if they, that's the kind of reactions you get, you've got some. Those are all great names. I have to say, the first time I heard your name, Royal Wade Kimes, was on the radio. It's a great name. I repeated it back to myself. It's kind of a musical name. Yeah. Maybe you're tired of hearing this, but it's a great name. Yeah, it, it turned out to be. I tell you, there's a story about that. Uh, when I went to Warner Brothers, when Warner Brothers signed me, they were looking around for a name. They'd signed Wade Kimes to a record deal, you know. And so they were looking around for a name, trying to they come up with Morgan something, and I don't remember what. Two, three names. They've done them very good. Max something, and I don't know what all. But finally, uh, I went into Warner Brothers one morning, and the president of Warner Brothers, Joe Mansfield, he said, uh, let me ask you something. I said, all right. He said, uh, is your first name Royal? I said, yeah. He said, so your name is Royal Way Kinds? I said, yeah. He picks up the phone and over the whole building, every floor, he said, stop looking for a name for Wade. We're never going to beat Royal Wade Kinds. <laughs> so it flew and it stuck. <laughs> well, there you go. I was mentioning at the beginning of the interview, there have been several singers who have interpreted your songs. Who would you say has done the best interpretation of a Royal Wade Kimes song? Uh, it would be Garth. Yeah, Garth Garth nailed it. He uh he took it a little um put a little more twang bang in it than I actually do it. And I'm i I'm a cowboy too, you know, but, but he did it he did it. He he pulled it across and put it right, so he did a good job. He he got what I was doing, but it's funny when we write. I wrote that song. I come in there with the idea, and I said, "Hey man, I got the smash idea." I said, "You ain't gonna believe this." I said, "This is a smash," and I started singing some of it. You know, I'd written and and so he gets up and walks up there with Bob Dole there, that was our manager at the time. He's my manager for writing and his manager for being an artist. And at that time, and he told Bob, he said, "Look, he said, Bob, that, that guy's crazy." He said, no, he's not. He said, he just, he approaches a song different than anybody else. He said, go back in there and, and listen. I said, you ain't going to believe how he's, how he's writing. And so he would come back in there and sit down. And I sang a little bit more. And we, he said, oh, now I get it. And so we, we did a little bit more. And we got that song finished and honed it out. And away we went. The way it went. But he got it. He understood what was, what was doing. He knew what, he knew how to bring it across. So he's pretty good at interpreting songs anyway. Is there anything about Garth Brooks that someone would be surprised to know? That people would? Yeah. Well, I don't know. I pretty much know everything about Garth Brooks. I don't 
know that there's anything there that people don't already know. Uh, you know, I guess they know what his politics is and the whole works. I don't know. I, to be honest with you, I, anything that would be a surprise on him would be something he probably wouldn't even want anybody to be surprised about. So there you have it. Well, tell us about some of the other artists that have recorded your songs. Are there any that stick out in your mind? Well, I really like I like Diamond Rio. They record one of my songs, but I just like them as a as a whole anyway. They and I knew Marty Rowe really well and Lead Picker and all that. They were my they were buddies, but but I liked them because they picked good songs. They had good songwriters writing the songs, and they had great harmonies. And, uh, I mean, look, if you go back and listen to their records, you can't find a group that had a better harmony than they had. So, and they had some really, really killer, killer songs. So, I think that was one of them that I was really, really liked. Uh, I liked our stuff, of course, but, but I really did like the Don Real stuff. And plus, I liked, uh, Mike Clue, who produced them. Uh, he produced my record on Warner Brothers, that first one there. And, you know, he, he, he made this statement about, they asked him who, of all the records he'd recorded in Nashville at, on Mix Magazine, what was the best record? And he said, the best record I ever cut in Nashville was on Roll Wade Times. And he cut all the Down Real stuff. Well, that was a big old compliment because I already liked the harmonies and what all he was doing with them. And for him to say that, and he was a master. I mean, he was a master producer. So, pretty exciting for me to have a guy like that say that about my records. Quite a compliment. What is the best compliment that you've received as an artist? Uh, I would say probably what's happened just lately, to be honest with you. I toured, I've toured all over the world, really, and all over the United States. There's very few states I hadn't been in, but there's a few, but not many. And Toured full band, all from '96. That's when I got my record deal, and up until last year. And last year, I, by accident, the year before last, I wasn't doing anything. I we had made a big move to to change our direction and what we're doing musically because the the business model has changed so much. So we we decided that we would make some moves and make some changes. Well, in doing that, I took a year off, and I got a chance to play this little place. Oh, it was about an hour from my ranch, and it was a little, oh, a little like a folk center almost, and a little nice little room. And uh, so I called my agent. I said, hey, I said, look, I got a chance to play this place over here. I said, you ain't got nothing going for me. So if I do that, he said, well, yeah, I ain't got nothing to say about that. Go ahead. So I called the people up, and I said, look, I said, uh, I'd like to play your venue if, you know, if the money's right, I'll come do it. And they said, well, what kind of money did it take? And I told them, and they jumped on it. And so I went up there, just me and a guitar, no band. And i never done that. I played one or two songs at special events and things like that. You do that, you know, like on TV shows or whatever. But I never went up there to play an hour show. Well, Paul, Lord, and behold to me, I get up there and find out I've booked myself for a two-hour show. <laughs> and I felt like I was going back to Nashville again. I got a little scared. I thought, oh boy, <laughs> here's this old, here's a pro coming in here to play two hour show with nothing but a long guitar. And I don't know if anybody can really do that. And, uh, I'm not just saying that. 
Uh, we was talking about that, I was talking about that uh, last night with uh, Jordan Ayers. And they, I said, can you believe that I can go into a place and play two hours and, and nobody leaves? And, and Jordan Ayers said, yeah, we can believe it. We've, we've been on your record. We know what we know what's coming. I said, all right, well, good. I didn't know it. <laughs> and they got tickled at me. But but uh, what I was going to say is, is I went up there and I played that two-hour show. The biggest compliment I've ever had was I'm, I'm sitting there on a chair with nothing but a guitar playing song one behind another, and no one gets up and leaves. And when the show is over with, they still didn't get up and leave. I stand up, and they're just sitting there. They don't get up. And so I walked back to the mic and I said, well, I guess I can do another song. I didn't know what was going on. They just sat there quiet, not saying nothing, not clapping. And, man, the place erupted. And so I did about two, I don't know, two or three more songs. And after the show, I asked them, I said, okay, can you all tell me what you were doing? I said, this one big old boy spoke up. And he said, well, I can tell you this. I know what's going on with me. He said, show might have been over, but it wasn't over for me. I was still sitting there thinking about it. Oh wow! That's the biggest compliment a guy can have is is leave them sitting there thinking about what just happened to them, and nothing but a guitar. So that's the biggest compliment I ever got. It tells me that I am doing something for those people out there, giving them something they've never had and something that they need. And I want to say this: of all of the stuff that you do, anybody does as an artist, if he forgets why he's doing it. And the purpose of why what he's doing, and here's what it is. If he forgets he's doing this for the people, not for himself, he's he's already done wrong. If he forgets what he's trying to do for those people, he's already out. It's it's, the dividend he gets back is not near as sweet. So that's what I go out there for. I, I don't do that for me. I'm out there, and I'm doing it for the people. And when I, if I ever forget that, I'll take my sign down, put my guitar up, and I'll be done. What would you say is more important, whether you're performing or writing or whatever, having a great lyric or having a great melody in a song? <laughs> well, here's the deal on that. If you, you can have a good lyric, but the melody ain't no good lyric ain't. It's worthless. And you can have a good melody, but if you have a good lyric, but if your melody sucks, it's worthless. So they both got to marry, and when they marry up, they've got to they've got to pull each other. And so usually it's just like a, the character in a book, and and the storyline. They've got to match up. They've got to build, both be strong. So the same thing with with writing songs. That melody and that lyric. Needs to be, you know, they need to match, match up, and it's like a match pair of horses. If they're pulling and and they're in that pulling against that collar and they're pulling together, then it's going to work. If they're not, one's weak and the other's not, that ain't going to work all day long. Interesting. At the beginning of the interview, in the introduction, I mentioned that. Motion pictures, movies, is also something that you do. Is there anything going on in that world with you? Yes. I'm uh, glad you brought that up. I, we've got a film out right now that uh, you can, it's in a box set that you can get through Selecto Hits. SelectoHits.com. That's the old Sun Record group that 
Elvis Presley and Johnny Cash, or Roy Orbison, all those guys came up through, and they are my distributors. They distribute records all over the world for me, and uh, have been for the last 15 years, and or longer. And uh, but you can get that bitter. It's called Bittersweet. It's a Western hour-long film that's done in all music. The stories told in music, and we had two premieres in that thing. You know theater venues and both of them sold out the box set is selling like gangbusters through selecto it's a blu-ray so you got to have a pretty new blu-ray player to play it because it's the new encoding this that just came out this year but that's quite the film and not just because i was the one responsible for it but because it's got a good storyline and, and the music tells the whole story we did that six years ago on a 30-minute film called Dixie Barnes, and it's about a commander trying to get home after the Civil War. And that one won six or eight different awards, small screen and some other stuff. But this one, I'm liking this because the people are flocking to it. They're they're liking it. They're hearing about it. They all they got to do is hear about it, and somebody else buys it. And so we're fixing to do a big push. Uh, we're going to do a big push, release it on YouTube as well. And when we do that, we're going to release it at the same time we're going to be promoting it on Facebook and other places and let the people really get a big jolt of it right on the get-go here and, and uh, social media-wise. And I, it's, I, I'm anxious to see what happens because it's been exciting getting the feedback from this thing. I mean, it's, you just can't believe what, how the people react to it. In the premiere, I got to be at the first premiere. In that premiere, that audience in that theater, you could have actually heard a pin drop. Was that quiet? They were really into it. There's so many things that you pursued in terms of art. Writing songs, recording songs, writing books, movies. Is there any genre of performance or expression that you have not attempted that you would like to? Probably not. Doing books and writing songs and performing and and, uh, playing guitar and and then directing the movies and producing movies. I've done, uh, I don't know how many vi- videos we've done. I produced a lot of those and, you know, song videos and I can't even tell you how many. There's a lot of them. And, uh, but all of that, com- you know, when you put all that together and in the, and you work in the studio and all the things that you do and touring and all that, I pretty much got it pretty much like I wanted. I, I do one other thing you probably don't know about. I am also, I've done a lot of art. And I do charcoals and lead, and some of my originals are sold. Well, one of them sold for fifteen thousand, but some of them are sold three, four, five thousand dollars for those. And then I've sold a lot of prints. But one of the biggest ones I've, I've done was the St. Louis Stockyards of eighteen eighties, and it took me about nine months to draw that. So I do that as well. So that that pretty much rounds me out. I've, I've I don't think I've got room to put anything else in there. Now, I do hold, I have a trail ride and concert that I do. I hold annually each year. This will be the 14th year coming up. It's October 1st to the 5th, and it's up here in the Boston Mountains. So I'll be doing that as well. But I ride horses, and uh, when I'm not doing music, I'm riding them horses, and I've got some good horses, and, and i got I probably got one of the best horses I've ever owned that, that I lead these trail rides with and had a big camping area up there, and, it's just a blast. People come in on Tuesday and start riding through through Saturday, and we have, we have the finale with the concert. So 
I don't think there's anything else. I can't think of anything else I'd do, and I don't want anybody naming it because I'm liable to go try it, and I ain't got time. <laughs> yeah. What life lesson would you say the horses have given you? Uh, that's a good question. One thing is watch what you're doing. <laughs> Get hurt. But the other thing is is that they they can keep you they keep you more centered. If you're around a horse very much, I, you know, I just don't ever remember a kid ever getting on drugs that rode horses. We just don't because that, that horse, he's very, for kids, he's very, uh, he's good for them in a lot of ways. Uh, you got to take care of him and you take care of your horse, the horse will probably take care of you. And especially if it's a good one, this one I've got that way. First mare I ever owned that I, I usually ride gilding, but this is a mare and she's the best horse I ever sat down on it. And she's that way. She takes care of me. Well, I, she, me and her got in a couple, three different places up here in these mountains and in the Boston mountains. That one place it got pretty scary. And I mean, I never did get scared, but somebody else might have been frightened to death, but not me. But I'm used to it. But you know, we just pulled up in this place. It's rugged and bad, and we didn't know it was going to be. And I just tapped her a little bit on the on the, on the shank, and she just backed up a couple, three steps on her own. I touched her just a little light touch on the neck, and she bent double, come around the backside, and got us right out of that mess. And there's a horse that is in tune with its rider, and the rider in tune with the horse. And but I learned early on that to trust your horse, and it'll trust you, and and it uh, and it'll keep you centered. You know, they're also, uh, if you spend time with them, not just riding, but also spend time with them, messing with them, you'll find that they keep you uh, calm. They'll calm you some. And, uh, you know, people that mess with horses, that's not like that, that that there's always something rigorous going on with them. There's too many good horses out there that have one of them. Go find you one. And then once he becomes your buddy, hang on to him. And like I got this old mare out here. I got another old mare. She's I didn't ride her like I rode this mare, but I rode some. She's the one I did the video in um, Another Man's Sky, and I rode her in that video. And uh, she's an old guy now, and but I'm keeping her even though she's not usable. I figured that she gave, she did for me when she could, and now it's my turn to take care of her. And that's what I'm doing. I even though a lot of people sell her, sell her if, you know, she gets old like that and they know you say get rid of them. I don't do that. I, she's done for me, now I'm going to do for her. Hmm. That's just the way I feel about that. So who is Royal Wade Combs? Oh, I'm just a down-to-earth guy. You know, that's the other thing. When you become a, a recording artist and, a, you know, a celebrity out there, I don't think of me that way, but that's what I am, and that's okay. But when you do that, and to all you guys out there that's trying to make it and haven't yet, I'm going to tell you a little secret. You're going to come to a fork in the road, and when you get to that fork, that's when you decide if you're going to do this for the money and the fame, or you're going to do it for the art and the good of the music, and, the, and do it for the people. That's the fork you're going to be on. Now, one of them that that first one I mentioned, that's going to be about nothing but money. The other one is going to be about the good of the music, preserving it and making it the best it can be. Anybody can write a song and get it recorded if you're in the game. But I don't want one recorded that's not 
that stand up a stand up a song. And what I mean by that is, is I don't care what song went in front of it. When it, this song comes up, it can stand on its own. And the one coming behind it, if I wrote it, can stand on its own. Each song has to stand on its own. And if you do that, when you get to that fork in that road and, and you decide, am I doing this for the money? Or am I going to do this for later years whenever I'm maybe I've already gone? And people say, man, who is this guy? Who was he? And he's writing songs like that, that he's putting into that song the emotion that, that it deserves. Because today they just go through the motions. They don't go through emotion. They just sing through a song. And I'm not trying to put them down. They just don't know that, you know, they think you just sang the song. Well, you don't. You need to write a song that you can feel it and feel. And when you feel, it'll come out to the people. And they'll, and they'll hear it and they'll know it. And they'll know why you're doing it. That's why these people sit there after shows over. They knew why I was doing it. I always like to just give it to the guest at the end. For anyone who's tuned in, what would you say to them? Well, you know, if, if they're trying to make it in the music business, I would tell them first, you know, you gotta, you better, if you're gonna be a songwriter, singer, songwriter, artist, then get your craft down. Learn how to write that song. Get your craft down good and, and know that you've got a two and a half minute killer song. And, uh, and take your time. Don't get impatient. And make it be the best it can be. And don't settle. You know, don't settle. It, you don't have to settle. You just got to be a little more patient. And it's one of the main things, one of the main stays is having patience in the business. You know, right now, the way the business is, has changed. We're talking about the business model changing. And I'm going to tell you guys out there that it has changed drastically because when I got in it, I was around cash and Eddie Arnold and George Jones and uh, Merle Haggard. You know, we were always rubbing shoulders and always around all these people. And it was a family. Nashville was a family. And we all knew we were a family. There's 1,400 songwriters then. Good, great. They're the best God ever made. And they're no, no longer there. We got, we actually got those kind of caliber songwriters. We're less than 100 now. So, the reason why for that is is because the business model with the technology has changed so drastically that a lot of the artists aren't even around there. And a lot of the writers write from home or whatever and pitch their songs to the artists through that. So it's not like it was. So you've got to figure out how to how to get better and learn and learn your craft and then the other thing, I said, I made mention in the early going that it took 10 years before Eddie Arnold gave me the green light. Now, anybody else would have gave me that green light five years in, but not him because he wasn't going to settle, not for, not for himself, and he wasn't going to settle for me. He groomed me. He groomed me for the stage. He groomed my voice. He worked with me. He, he, there was things he wanted to see me do that I didn't even know existed. And I would have been a singer, a singer, and I had some hits well before that, but they wouldn't have been what they are today or what what I can do today because he wouldn't settle. And I didn't know that you settled at that time. So I'm telling you, if you're out there, don't settle and take your time. Even when you think you're great, you may not be as great as you can be. So just 
be easy ease along with it and get it down pat and know what you're doing and get your confidence level up and and find somebody that you can believe in that's got an ear that that you know's got an ear that can hear that knows a song if you can find that that'll help you immensely and uh write those songs the other thing i tell you write them songs two minutes 30 seconds or no more than three minutes you don't have to because you need to get in and get out when the beatles came out with their record they didn't have a song on there more than two minutes and 15 seconds long and everybody just loved them to death because you couldn't get enough of it and the reason why you couldn't get enough of it because it was so darn good it's over with in two minutes and 15 seconds you had to hear it again but if you got a, a song that's five minutes long almost like a book well the time they listen to it twice they got 10 minutes of their life invested that ain't gonna happen so you got to get back there and get your songs at the right length and learn how to write those songs differently. They don't write them like Nashville Formula. And you will, if you're an independent artist, and that's about what you're going to be today because there's no major things really happening these days and times. If you're an independent artist and you're writing different, if your songs are written different and you're singing the dog out of them, then you're going to set yourself apart from everybody else. And that's what Mr. Arnold did with me, Eddie Arnold, was that, he knew I didn't. I wasn't going to be one of the pack. I was going to be leading the pack. I was different, and that's how it happened for me. Despite all of the crooks and turns that happens in the business, because there's lots of them, and you got to be watching for them. Well, Mister Kimes, thank you very much for sharing with us. It's been a pleasure. My pleasure. For everyone out there, I want to share the website with you. It's thegentlemanoutlaw.com, right? Uh-huh, thegentlemanoutlaw.com. That's one last thing I want to say. When you go to that, that site, you as an artist or an aspiring artist or whatever, listen to some of those videos. And if you'll just listen to how the song's written, don't listen to the, don't even listen to the words. Just listen to how, how it was written because you'll see they're going to be different. And that's going to give you a, a leg up. I mean, it's kind of like you're sitting over there and your mom or dad's driving a car and you sat there with him for 14, 16 years and you've never driven. And then he says all of a sudden, okay, here's the wheel you drive. You ain't got a clue because you wasn't watching, really watching what he was doing. So listen, listen to that and you'll get the, you'll get a beat on it. All right, sir. Most appreciated. It's been a pleasure. Good to talk to you, Paul. Good to talk to you. If I can ever be of service, don't hesitate. All righty. Until next time. Goodbye.